stand and you'll find the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, as we continue our study on Sunday mornings through the book of Ephesians. And on this Father's Day, I want to speak on this subject, a real man of God, a real man of God. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace, of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom... We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow to my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit, the same spirit that Paul spoke of, God, that you prayed would energize the hearts and lives of the believers there in Ephesus. God, we pray that same Holy Spirit that convicted us of our lostness, drew us to salvation, illuminated the word of God, that we might have the opportunity to respond by faith as we repent of our sins. God, we pray that same Holy Spirit will do that same work in the heart and life of a lost person here this morning. If there's someone here who's never been saved, God, we pray you'll overwhelm them with their need for Christ and they'll turn and trust you today. And Father, we pray your Holy Spirit will convict the life of every believer where there's a spiritual need found today. God, where there's areas that have died because of neglect, we've turned back, we've backslid. These marks, God, that mark the life of Paul, a real man of God, they're really not a reality in our lives. God, I pray that they'll be as we leave today, as we repent of any sin from knowing what to do and not doing it. 
And God, that your perfect will be done in every heart and life today. We'll give you thanks for what we trust you're going to do now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'm about you to be seated. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I begin to read in verse number 14. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words to a very troubled church at Corinth. Listen to these. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. That's the way Paul saw the churches that he planted. He saw himself as their spiritual father. It was through his ministries he lived on mission and preached the gospel with his life and with his lips that many came to know Christ. And then churches, local assemblies were planted. And though a much very different church in many ways, the church at Ephesus wasn't plagued with the same problems that the church at Corinth was. It was a local church where the Apostle Paul had ministered and a church had been planted through his, uh, his efforts. Remember Acts chapter 19 and then the latter part of Acts chapter 20 details the ministry for three and a half years of the Apostle Paul there at Ephesus, how through much attention and much faithfulness to living on mission, a church was planted there in Ephesus. And we saw over the past several, uh, few months as we've been in this study and we've bounced in and out looking at other texts, but that Judaism was one of the problems, one of the false doctrines that was seeking to attack the life of the local church. And that is, Judaizers were saying, believe on Jesus Christ, but plus, you must also take the outward sign of a Jew, men, and you must keep the law. It's only when you do these extra things, plus your faith in Jesus Christ, that you're really saved. And that is, uh, that's heresy. It's salvation is through Faith in Jesus Christ alone is one repents, Romans 10, 9, 10, and then by faith trusts Christ and confesses him to be Lord of their life. And so Paul was writing in this, again, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but part of chapter 3 is to remind them again of the mystery of the gospel. That the Jews, many of the Jews who professed their faith in Christ, but really the Pharisees and Sadducees who were still very much in business, they didn't want the gospel to go to the Gentiles. They thought it could only go to the Jews. And so Paul suffered for this. And he's reminding them again in chapter 3 of this mystery. It's a, a, pre, a truth that had been hidden for ages, but now is being revealed. That the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was for all people. Christ died that all people might be saved. And Paul had suffered for this. Physically, he's in prison as he writes this. Because he will not compromise. And so we see some marks. This is where we're going. We see some marks on the life of the Apostle Paul, who I would submit to you is probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. We see some marks on his life of a real man of God that should be on the life of every man that's in this church, but not only every man. Listen, really every person, every believer in Jesus Christ ought to have at least these same marks upon their lives. Well, what, what are those marks? Well, our lives, first off, should be marked by persecution. Number one, persecution. That's what we see the life of the Apostle Paul marked by. Again, there was the threat of Judaism, uh, and, and then there was the desire of the exclusion of the Gentiles from the gospel. And so because of this, look again at verse number one of Ephesians chapter three. 
Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you, the Gentiles. Look over at verse 13. He says, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, literally my persecutions, the hardship that I'm going through for you, which is your glory. Well, who is you? It's the church at Ephesus. And break that down further, it's Gentile believers. Paul, Paul would not compromise, though there was a great movement in Jerusalem to try to exclude the gospel from going to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 1 details this. Paul suffered greatly for this. And then as he went to Jerusalem, he began to make a defense of the ministry that God had called him to. And all of a sudden, they were really into it. As you move into Acts chapter 22, we're not going to go there this morning, but you can look in reference later. But right down Acts chapter 2, verse 22, man, they were into it. They were amening. And they were, boy, they loved the song service was great. Everybody was excited. And we think, well, man, Paul's finally seen the light. He thinks like we do. The gospel is not for the Gentiles. And in verse number 22, uh, 21, he begins to lay out that, that what it is that God called him to. And that's to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then he lost them right there. Everybody just absolutely turned him off. And in verse number 22, they're ready to kill him now. They loved him before, but now they're ready to kill him. And he even had people that were encouraging him to compromise. You know, don't, don't talk about the Gentiles anymore. And I want you to know something. Paul knew nothing about compromise. Right was right, and wrong was wrong, and there's no in-between. And so Paul wasn't concerned in building a crowd. He wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. He didn't take polls to see what the common desire of everyone is right now. He wasn't a politician. Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. God changed his life in Acts chapter 9. He gave him a mission, and his greatest desire was to glorify God through obedience. And because of that, he suffered for it. And friend, I want you to know, it's not just what he said that got him in trouble. Uh, it, it, was, it was the mission that he lived out. And I want you to know, friend, you can compromise not by, I mean, you can compromise by being silent. But say nothing. So I would, I would never compromise the gospel. I would never compromise what the Bible says is right and wrong. Well, friend, you don't have to say that what the Bible says is wrong. You can simply keep silent and not stand and take a stand for Jesus Christ. You can compromise by just, well, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody in my family's feelings. I don't want to hurt anybody they'll work with. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I, I don't, I don't want to. And I've heard this one all my well, Brother Chad, they're lost and we're afraid we're going to run them off. Where are you going to run them off to? Hell number two? They're already lost. If someone is lost, friend, there's not another hell that you're going to run them off to. That's the direction that they're going. And so there's such a fear in the day in which we're living, you know, that we're going to, if we're going to be labeled. And then people twist this. Now, Brother Chad, I don't want to judge anybody. And so I'm afraid if I take a stand, somebody's going to think I'm being judgmental. Well, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, through the ministry of Ananias, God told the apostle Paul, he says, go and tell him that he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul didn't look for trouble, friend, but he didn't run from it. When he had the opportunity to stand, he stood. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul writing, listen, moments from having his head severed from his body because he wouldn't renounce his faith in Christ. 
he wrote to a young pastor, this same Timothy, who was in, ministering in this same church, which the book is a namesake to which we're studying today. He says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, now listen, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul says, if you seek to let your life count for Jesus Christ, and that is to let every syllable, every jot and every tittle of God's word to be a living reality in your life, you're going to be persecuted because of it. It's going to find you. And then there's a choice to be made. Whether you'll stand for the word of God, you'll affirm it with your mouth and with your life, or you'll compromise and you'll cave. And I want to ask you this morning, friend, what are you willing to endure to fulfill the Great Commission? In your home, in your family, in your workplace, through the life of this church and in the community? What are you willing to endure? Paul's willing to die that others might hear about the gospel and see it as a reality in his life. For many churches, for many families, many individual people, they, the great commissions become the great compromise. The great compromise. You know, reaching people for Christ, man, we're all at, we're in for that. We don't want anybody to die and go to hell. So we don't see everybody say encouraging. We, again, we know the great commission in three words. What is it, church family? Reach. So we're all about reaching. People say, well, man, encouragement. You got me. I want to encourage people. We'll write them cards. We'll have fellowships, especially their food, man. Everybody's in for that. And so we're all about encouragement. But now the teaching ministry, we will teach up to the point that it becomes unpalatable for the unsaved and the uncommitted. Now, when it means that somebody might get mad or leave the church, now, well, we're not up for that. Many, many churches, many families, many individuals, that's where they are. They say they believe the word of God, but are they willing to stand on it in the face of persecution? When you've got a family member that's shacked up out of wedlock, are you willing to stand and say, no, you're living in sin? When it comes to matters of morality and holiness, are you willing to look at another co-worker and say, what do you think about this? Say, well, the Bible, it doesn't matter what I think. The Bible says that's wrong. Are we willing to call abortion what it is? And friend, that is murder of children. Are we willing to say that? Or are we just going to keep our mouths shut and compromise through silence? Are we willing to stand today, friend? Listen, when Calvinism is a scourge, a scourge, it is heresy, and it's destroying churches all across America. Are we willing to stand this morning and say, listen, you're wrong. What you believe is wrong. It's not that we're just going to hold hands and agree disagree. It's wrong. Or are we going to be silent through compromise? Paul was willing to suffer persecution. It didn't matter. Right was right, and wrong was absolutely wrong. And friend, I'm telling you, when you stand for truth, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have family members that don't like you. You're going to have friends that aren't going to hang out with you anymore. And when the church stands on the word of God, friend, there were people that would begin to depart little by little. And, and listen, I've heard it for 20 years. That church up there at Greenwood, they're just legalistic that's always good they're just legalistic 
No, friend, where the Word of God speaks, it speaks. Where it's silent, it is silent. Right's right, wrong's wrong. That's not legalism. And so when you stand as an individual, a family, and the truth of God's Word, just like Paul did, a real man of God, his life's going to be marked by persecution. It's not because he goes and looks for it. Friend, it's just a natural byproduct of standing and living out God's Word. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so it was in the life of Paul where the flow of life in any community or culture, listen, ran contrary to the Word of God. Paul stood firm. He wouldn't flow along. He didn't, he didn't worry about ruffling feathers. He didn't care whose hair got turned the wrong way. Paul just stood for truth. And because of it, friend, he was greatly, he was greatly persecuted because of it. Now listen, he didn't stand for, it, it wasn't politics, it wasn't political conviction that he tried to stand against, he, or what he was motivated by. He stood firm on God's word. Now I want you to know something, friend. There's a lot of people, they suffer persecution and they're martyrs because it, they live in a prison of their own making. Now, now, Paul, he was in prison because he stood for God's word. A lot of people, they're being persecuted because they just say and do foolish things. And, and they stand for things that really, they really don't matter. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 4, the apostle Paul said to Timothy, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. In, in Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul wrote to Titus and said, But avoid foolish dispute, disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Now listen, he gives a little deeper instruction to Titus. He said, People who get marred down in that kind of foolishness, and again, can I just say, since I, you know, the Facebook crowd that's always looking to create a stir, anybody know anybody like that? Anyway, uh, he says, Those people, verse 10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, what's he talking about? He says, do church discipline on him. That's what Paul said. That's how Paul responded to those kind of people. He said, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. These are people who, who, who suffer persecution because they involve themselves. They stand firm in foolishness. It's stuff where the Bible's silent, and it doesn't matter. It's where we can agree to disagree. But when there was a group of people who were saying the gospel can only go to the Jews, Paul said, no, sir, no, ma'am. Christ died that all people might be saved, and I'm willing to die for the truth. And so his life was marked by persecution. Paul didn't look for trouble. There's a lot of people that do, but Paul didn't. He didn't look for trouble. He wanted there to be peace. He wanted there to be unity. And I've heard people say, but unity at any cost. No, friend. Unity as long as everybody is unified. But when you're not unified in the Word of God, there's not going to be unity. And so Paul was willing to stand. His life was marked by persecution. He was willing to suffer for biblical truth. I'll ask you a question this morning. Everybody look at me. Are you... The day in which we're living, are you willing to suffer persecution for what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is wrong? Are you willing to stand? And it's going to be reality in your lives. Anybody can stand up. Listen, I see it all the time. I had all kinds of boys that were excited to fight, but when the bullets start flying, everybody's 
Everybody's not all in. Are you willing really to suffer persecution? Paul was willing to die for truth. A real man of God, his life is marked by persecution. But secondly, a real man of God and every believer, our lives ought to be marked by preaching. You say, well, now wait a second, brother. God called Paul to preach, and he might have called you, but he didn't call me. Friend, listen, when you got saved, God called you to be a preacher of the gospel. You may never have a pulpit, and you may never pastor. God may have never called you to that, but he called you to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Mark 16. Every believer has that mandate. And listen to me, friend. You're not only going to do it with your mouth. You're going to do it with your life. And I would submit to you, the gospel you live is more important than the gospel that you preach. Because that's the reality. That's the foundation upon which you stand and you preach. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That should have settled it right there in Acts 21, but it didn't. Every creature... Not just the Jews, but to everybody. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Who's that? It's the Gentiles. And certainly was the case with Samaria where they had intermarried after the 722 B.C. dispersion and, and they had, Assyria had sent all those people into the northern kingdom. There were no true Jews in Samaria anymore, but Christ died for them and he wanted them to be saved. And so Paul's life was marked by preaching. Look at verse number 8. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. I want to tell you something, friend. Those weren't just idle words. You know, I've shared, if you see it all the time, you know, at revival, someone, you know, someone says, well, I'm just not a good singer, and I didn't come to sing. And inside, they're pulling out some sheet music, you know. I just happen to have a little song right here, a one and a two. And they're, man, they're ready to go. There's no humility in that. They came to sing. Don't let anybody fool you. And you know, people say, well, I hope you like this soup. I really don't think I'm a good cook. Do you like it? You, you never tasted anything like it before, have you? You haven't. Well, they're not humble. They think they're the best cook there's ever been. That wasn't the case with the Apostle Paul. When he said this to him, less than the least of all the saints, that's how he saw himself. Listen. Paul was able to be healed from the guilt of Stephen and those like him who had died, but he never truly got over the sorrow that he had in his heart over wasted days. He really was amazed always at the grace of God on his life. This grace was given to me. Now look at it, verse 8, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery. God had called him to give a verbal witness to others. Friend, listen, I believe in lifestyle evangelism. It takes both. You need to live out the gospel. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You need to tell people not what Greenwood thinks or what some other church thinks, but what the Bible says it takes to be saved. You need to share people. And, and so Paul gave a verbal witness. It, it begins in the home and then it goes outward. Dads, I want to tell you something. That should be your first focus. Dads, granddaddies is, is your family what profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul what, what what profit a man if he reaches everybody in the community for jesus christ if his own children and grandchildren die and go to hell so the great commission begins at home and your life should be a living example of god's grace your children ought to see how the grace of god has changed you from the inside out 
And so he was to give a, a verbal witness as he went into these communities. And friend, to do that, to share the word of God, not only in reaching people, but also teaching, building disciples, encouraging other believers that you work with that may go to other churches, neighbors who are saved but aren't growing in the word, in order to teach them, it's not just reaching, but also teaching. You can't share what you don't know. For, for Paul to be able to share the word of God, he had to spend time in the word of God. And again, that begins with your daily quiet time. Daddies, I want you to look up here at me. If you're not spending a quality time every morning in God's word, you are unprepared to lead your household and to be the man of God that he's called you to be. You're going to be unprepared. You can't share and you can't live out what you don't know. You see, I don't have time. You'll make time for what's important. You'll get to the boat ramp on time. You'll get to the tree stand on time. Wherever it is that's important to me, you, you'll make time for it. And if being an effective man of God in your home and in the workplace is important to you, you'll make time to get up early and spend time in God's Word to study and pray. And so Paul spent time that he might know what he might be able to But also, friend, discipline, not just to share, but discipline to live out and to obey. Verse number 8, to preach and share the unsearchable, look at verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That, that literally means the fathomless spiritual riches. Now, I can't speak for your bank account, but mine has a beginning and an end. Now, maybe, you know, you can just keep counting yours for a day. And God bless you. Do something great to God's glory with it. But friend, it doesn't take me long to start from the beginning to get from the first dollar to the last dollar. It's not unsearchable. But the riches of God are fathomless. It's a bottomless pit, friend. It's a black hole. You never get to the end. And Paul says, God's called me to share these things. John 10, 10. The thief comes but steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Paul says. That's what Satan wants for you. He says, but Jesus has sent me here to tell you that you can have spiritual life. John 3, 7, you can be born again, but God has life more abundantly for you. It's unsearchable riches. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Uh, the apostle Paul spoke about uh, that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's a mining term. It's not that we're working for salvation, but once you've been saved, Paul told that church at Philippi, he says, God has planted some things under the dirt that you've got to spend time through prayer and the study of his word and meditation upon it to dig those things out. Listen, I loved August every year because it was work, but man, it was, just, it, was just, it was a fun time where I grew up in the mountains. It's when we dug potatoes. I mean, just Kennebec potatoes. I mean, we're, this is my personal opinion. If you think different, you're wrong. Kennebec potatoes are the greatest potatoes that there have ever been. And God blessed our family with land to be able to grow them on. And I'll never forget, you know, we'd, we'd put the big spade bit on the back of our old Massey Ferguson, and Papa would head right down over those rows, and we'd grab toe sacks and just go through and start picking up potatoes and throw the rotten ones at each other. I mean, we had the best time. But listen, the potatoes weren't up on top. Corn was. Other things were. But to get those potatoes, friend, you had to mine out what was under the dirt. And Paul's trying to say, God sent me to preach the unsearchable riches of God, the 
unfathomless riches of God, which he says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, they're down under there. You, to, to experience those graces, you know, tell someone about Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. He said that as you, as you give yourself to Christ, as you continue to submit to his lordship, you study his word, there's just going to be fruit, Galatians 5, that's going to start growing on your life in spite of you. He says it's, it's, it's there. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8 through 8 speak of these graces that just begin to build one upon the other. As you spend time in God's word, you obey God's word, there are riches, friends, that you'll begin to mine out of your spiritual life and fellowship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, that's what God called me and sent me to preach and tell people. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He sent us to do the same thing. We're to preach with our lives and with our lips the gospel. And Paul didn't just share it. He lived it out before them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1. The apostle Paul said again to the church at Corinth. He said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul says, if you forget what I said, he says, then just do what I do. Speak like I speak. Live like I live. Be committed to what I'm committed to. He says, because I've got my eyes on Jesus Christ. And I'm imitating him. And so dads, again, it doesn't matter as much what you say at home. It's what you do that gives strength to your words. And dear brother and sister in Christ, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, at the ball field, wherever it is, we don't know what you retired people do, but whatever it is you do during the day, wherever you go, what gives validity and what gives impact to the gospel you preach is the life that you live. You preach, with your, you preach with your legs. You preach with your hands. You preach with your body. It's the gospel you live out. And Paul, Paul did that. Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 25. Before he departed for Jerusalem, he called all those Ephesian elders together. And he reminded them, he says, you know what kind of life I lived before you. He, he, wasn't, look, he wasn't looking for an Apostle Paul day. He didn't want a pat on the back. He was just trying to remind them, you know what manner of ministry I had for the three and a half years that I was here. It wasn't just what I said, it's what I did. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Listen to me. What message are your lips and your life preaching today? As a father, as a mother, as a grandfather, as a grandmother, just as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what is your life and what are your lips preaching today? Friend, they're preaching, so I, I'm not preaching anything. Friend, you're preaching something. I'm telling you, listen to me this morning. As sure as your name's what it is, and mine's Chad Chandler, you're either leading someone to Christ, or you're leading them away. You say, I will never lead someone away from Christ. If you're not pointing people to Christ, you're pointing them away. That's the reason our country's in the shape that it's in. The church has been so concerned about all these things that don't matter about the Great Commission. We're reaping the harvest of years of faithlessness to the Great Commission. And what a lost and dying world friend is looking for is an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. They'll says, I'll stand on the word of God no matter the persecution, no matter what happens. Right's right, wrong's wrong. And I'm going to live for Jesus Christ and share him in these days. That's what the world's looking for. By God's grace, that's who we can be. So Paul was willing 
to be the preacher that God saved him to be. Are you? Are you? He called you to be one. And you're preaching something, my friend. You're either pointing people to Christ or you're pointing people away. But number three, not only should our lives be marked by persecution, not only should our lives be marked by preaching, but Paul's life was also, and so should ours, be marked by prayer. By prayer. Paul now begins to intercede for that church there at Ephesus. He doesn't really pray much about himself. He just he begins to pray for them. He begins to intercede on their behalf. In verse number 14, look at it in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to, here's the first thing he prayed for, spiritual strength. Look at it in verse 16. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Paul wanted those believers there to be strengthened. He wanted to remind them of the truth that he was sharing with the church at Philippi in Ephesians chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Not some things, all things. Don't ever use that excuse, well, I just can't, I can't do that, or I can't witness, or I can't, I can't, I can't. I can do all things in the will of God. Whatever his will is for your life, you can do it through the Holy Spirit who strengthens you. And just a couple of chapters, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul's going to give another word again about the foolishness of the consumption of alcohol, just how unwise it is and how sinful. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a marker, strong ink is raging. Whosoever takes is unwise. You will be a dummy in God's eyes. Any of you will stand for the judgment seat of Christ and you can say, you're a dummy. The Bible says, friend, listen, if you drink, at least say, well, wine, they say, is good for the heart. Well, they've also proven that Welch's grape juice does the same thing as a glass of wine for your heart. And you keep drinking wine, the reason you drink it's not because your heart's because you want to drink it. And I'm telling you, you're killing your testimony. There's nothing, and friend, listen, I'd rather die of a heart attack 20 years before than to live 120 years and not have a testimony for Jesus Christ because I bought and consumed alcohol. And so Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine or excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, that's where your spiritual strength is. He says, I'm praying that you will have the strength that you need to suffer persecution and to be the preacher that you live on mission that God's called you to be. He says, I'm praying that you'll have spiritual strength. So anytime you say, friend, well, I just can't. You're forgetting, friend, that you're half right. You can't, John 15, 5. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But Paul says, through Christ who strengthens me, I can do all things. I can do it. So Paul was praying for their spiritual strength. Secondly, he was praying for spiritual stability for that church. Look at verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. He was praying for spiritual stability, that Jesus and his word would be at home in their lives. And listen, friend, you can't pick and choose what parts of Scripture you like and you don't like. And you may say, well, I, some I like, some I don't like. Well, that's between you and God, but I'm just telling you, friend, you either take all of it or you reject all of it. You say, I take 99% of God's word, but I don't like that 1% of those verses that say this, this, and this. Then you reject all of it. You're, you're all in or you're all out. And Paul says, I'm praying that you'll have some spiritual stability. He says that you're not going to be a double-minded man or woman. You know that one second you're in, one second you're out. 
Another second you're in, another second you're out. Well, I didn't like that message. I'm going to visit this church. I'm going back in. He says, you're going to have some spiritual smithers. You're going to have a daily growing walk with Jesus Christ. He says that there'll be some stability. He says that you're going to be rooted, that you're going to be grounded in Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 and verse number 8, James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James chapter 4 and verse number 8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Paul's praying that they wouldn't be double-minded anymore, that, but that the Word of God would be a true reality in their life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, Let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. Any of you love to see just a tree in your front yard leaning toward the house? Isn't that a blessing? Don't you love that? Huh? Big tall oak tree. Roots are starting to break apart. Root balls bulging on the opposite side. Facing there. What a blessing to see that. No. You know, because you know what's going to, the next big wind, it's coming. It's coming. Paul says, my prayers, you're not going to be like that, but you're going to be like an oak tree whose roots are deep and rooted in God's word and in commitment to him. Look in at verse number 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That, is to, that word dwell means to be at home. Jesus, I love you right now. Now, I don't want you here anymore. Yes, I love you. No, I don't want you anymore. Just know that he'll be at home at all times. He'll dwell in your hearts through faith and that you will be rooted and grounded in love. We'll see in next week in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse number 14. Paul says, my prayer is that you would no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. He says you're going, to be, you're going to stand firm in your faith, grounded in the knowledge of God's Word. So he prayed for spiritual strength, spiritual stability, but also he prayed for spiritual scholarship. Spiritual scholarship. Verse number 18, he says that being rooted and grounded, verse 17, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with, with all the fullness of God. Paul says, I want you to be able to comprehend God's word. He says, I want you, when, when the word of God is shared, taught, or preached, or you read, he says, I want you to be able to understand what you're reading. But also realize that there's so much to know about God that it passes all knowledge, verse 19. You're never going to learn everything. I mean, you, you, you'll think you've, got, you've read the Bible through. Read it again, friend. You'll see something else. Read it again, you'll see something else. Read it again, he'll teach you something else about himself. There's always more to learn. Now, I want to share this, listen. I've ministered to people say, you know, I just, I'm just not getting all this. I don't get what you're saying. I'm sitting in Sunday school, and I just don't understand God's Word. I'm reading my Bible, and I'm just not getting anything. Now, listen to me. Listen, pay attention. Everybody, if you're listening, say amen. Somebody didn't say amen, nudge them, wake them up. They need to hear this. There's two possible reasons why you don't understand God's Word. Number one, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man perceives not the things of God, neither can he know them for their spiritual, their foolishness to him. The reason that you may not be able to understand what I'm preaching and teaching this morning, what your Sunday school is teaching, or what you're reading as you seek to read God's Word is this, friend. Listen, because you've never been saved. You've never been saved. A dead man can't do anything. Ephesians 2, Paul says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
It's the Holy Spirit of God, friend, that helps Scripture to make sense. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have salvation. That may be the very reason. That you can't understand, it's just words. You you feel nothing when you hear God's word preached and taught because you've never been saved. But the second reason is this, it may be because you've got unconfessed sin in your life as a believer. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, I'll not hear you. Isaiah 59, 2. Sin separates us from God. Maybe because, friend, you've got to deal with the sin until there's going to be newness and freshness that you can understand God's word. All you're going to hear, friend, when you hear God's word preached and taught is that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin. And that's why so many saved people who are backslid run from place to place and hop from Bible to Bible and hop from class to class because they're trying to run from God. But friend, every place that they get, God hems them up and nothing's going to change in their life till they deal with that sin and they experience God's reviving touch on their life. So if that's a reality in your life, Deal with it. Listen, common sense says, if you're lost, be saved. If you've got unrepented sin in your life, repent of it. Experience God's fresh touch upon your life. Paul says, I'm praying that you're going to understand and grow in what you're you're being taught. And to do that, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it's our one verse. Listen, friend, you have to put time into the study of God's word. You have to do that. Why don't you look up here at me? We are living, and I'm telling you, it's going to affect the church. We have got a culture in our, in our country now where we pay people to do nothing. Now, I'm not trying to be political this morning. I'm just telling you the facts. We're paying people to do nothing. And so we're blessing laziness. I'll tell you something. God won't bless laziness. If you're going to grow in Scripture and you're going to grow in the knowledge of Scripture, you've got to get your face in the real book and spend some time finding out who God is, but also, friend, who you are. Who you are. Then asking God to change who you are into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. You've got to spend time. Paul said, I'm praying for your spiritual scholarship. But fourth, he says, I'm also praying for your spiritual submission. Spiritual submission. He said that you're going, you're going to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 20. He continues his prayer. He says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And can I just say, that's one of those verses that gets put on all these farmhouse, I mean, boards that came out of a machine in China and they drug them down the road to make it look like it came off a barn and it didn't. But they'll, they'll write this verse on it. And everybody says, oh, Whatever I ask God, he's just going to give it. No, friend, what Paul's saying right here is, whatever you think you've got to have to be happy and find joy, Paul says God's got something that's far better in his will. And he may be in a completely different direction or a completely different realm of what you were praying for. So it may look good on your wall, you know, while you're trying to, you've got plastic chickens in the backyard and trying to make everybody think you've got chickens and you don't. You're trying to live... I'm, anyway, you're trying to live that facade. The verse may look good on that. But the true interpretation is, Paul says, just know that whatever it is you ask, God's got something far better than that. If you'll only, if you'll only have experienced spiritual submission, look what he says in verse number 21. It says, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. How 
is God ultimately glorified in my life and in your life through submission to his lordship. As we obey his word and it becomes a reality in our lives, Paul says that's what I'm praying for. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. To all generations, not just the church at Ephesus, but in 2021 at Greenwood Baptist Church, he says may God be glorified in the heart and life of that church, all the families that sit on different pews this morning, and in every individual heart and life. Our surrender to his will and to his word. Now listen to me, everybody look at me. We've seen these three things this morning. Persecution, preaching, and prayer. As a child of God, if you've been born again, say amen. Are those marks a reality in your life? Not I affirm them. Absolutely, they should be. Absolutely. You preacher, you tell them. You tell them. No. Tell you. Look in the mirror of God's word this morning. Are those really reality in your life? Are you standing for the word? Or are you trying to keep the peace in the family? You're trying to keep the peace on the job when someone asks you. You're trying to keep the peace with your neighbors. Dads, you're trying to keep the peace at home? Or are you being the spiritual leader of your family? I'm you, listen, what the, what the world needs and what the church needs is some men to cut the lace off their Levi's and be the men of God God's called them to be. Are you willing to suffer persecution in the home and be the spiritual leader of your family? Is that a reality? Are you, are you preaching God's word? Are you, are, you, are you intentionally seeking to share the gospel with lost people? Well, I'm just not wired that way. I can do all things through Christ. He's called you to do it. You can do it. He'll do it through you. But is it reality? Are you living out the gospel? Are you an exhibition? Are you an exhibit of what the gospel can do in someone's life? Are you interceding for the hearts and lives of other people? I mean, is, is prayer really reality in your life? And if it's not, then let it be today. Let these marks be a mark on your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You say, I know I'm saved. No one's moving about except the ones that are going to come and play. Listen to me. If the Spirit of God has convicted you that those are not marks of reality in your life today, those marks aren't a reality. Would you just deal with it now? Would you say, God, you know I'm lacking in these areas. God, I don't want to leave the way I came today. God, I want to be a real man of God. I want to be a real woman of God. I want to be the young man of God and the young woman of God that you say I can be. That's my desire today. So this is my prayer, God. Thank you for the day you saved me. And God, you're showing me these areas where I'm lacking. God, I confess on my own I can't bring change. But I know you can as I surrender to your will. And so fresh and anew today, God, I lay my life at your feet. Do in me and through me all that you desire. I want to be just like Paul. Because he wanted to be just like Jesus Christ. That's my desire, that the mind of Christ might mark me in all things. That's my prayer today. Now, heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. Friend, listen. You can't be a real man of God or a real woman of God until you first know him. It's not about joining the church or joining the Sunday school class. It's about being spiritually born again. You've got to turn and trust Jesus today to be Lord of your life. Simply confess your sin. 
choose to turn from it no matter the cost and believe that Jesus died for you, that God raised him from the dead and trust him today not to be your Savior, listen, but to be your Lord. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you not lay your life today at Jesus' feet? He'll save you. He'll take you. He'll change you if you'll only trust him now. Tell him so right now in a simple prayer just like this. Well, God, forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge it. I turn from it. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And I lay my life at his feet today. Be Lord of me. That's my decision today. Save me from my sin. Be Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer in just a moment when we stand to our feet, I want to invite you to make your way here to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life now that you've decided to trust Him. You may have been saved at a later date, but you've never followed the Lord and believers baptism. You've, you've never done that. Or Tom did that a few weeks ago. Almost 50 years he waited, but he finally got baptism on the right side of salvation. You, baptism comes after salvation, not before you need to do that today. God may be laying on your heart someone you need to pray for, something you need to These altars are open for you to pray. Simply respond as God speaks to you now. Father, it's your invitation. You give it. Oh, God, challenge us now. Might your will be done as we respond to it. In faith, in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand at our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, you step out and come right now. They're going to sing.